<clears throat> Good morning. Feels oddly like I've never, like I haven't seen y'all in like a year, even though Impact was like, can you believe it? Like a couple of months ago. It doesn't it feel like forever ago. I hope the school year has kicked off well for you as you've started. You know, obviously, it's been a crazy week. It's been a crazy week up here. We really weren't sure that we would even have service for a while. It was um, canceled because this room was filled with evacuees. It was sweet to be with people like the Vasquez family and their precious daughter Kelly and then was an amazing man I wish you all could have met named Mr. Paul whose faith is just tremendous and an example and encouragement to us all but there were also teens just like you here who are not going to be in school or at least not their own school this year because of um, their school being absolutely destroyed down in Brazoria County near Freeport, Angleton. So it was great to have those people here, but you know that their normal is not going to be normal for a long, long time. So I do hope that you'll keep them in mind and your heart and your prayers as you go along and find out the one thing you can do. Be part of one thing you can do um, to make this be a better week for them. I'm really excited about the topic that David started us off this school year talking about discipleship. Though you know me from Impact or from teaching up here in my day-to-day life, this is my passion that we are called to make disciples and to meet one-on-one with people to encourage them. And Dave gave you a a definition for it that we're going to put back up on the screen in case you weren't here. Discipleship is simply deliberately doing good to others to help them to follow Jesus, to help them to grow, to be more like Jesus. That's all it is. Last week, he told you some things that are true about discipleship, and I want you to see those It is always Jesus-centered. It's not about you and I. It's all focuses on Jesus. It always involves things like warning them about sin, teaching them about righteousness. It also brings about maturity. It is often toil and struggle, and it is always energized by Jesus. If you weren't here or didn't hear those or need to go back over those again, I hope that you'll listen to his talk. Those are important for you to understand. But I think equally as important is for you to understand what causes discipleship to stop. What causes it to stop thriving? Why doesn't discipleship happen? And as Dave was talking last week, four quick things, easy things came to my mind about what causes discipleship to stop in my life or stops discipleship from being effective as I'm doing it. So that's my task today is to go over things like that. So we're going to start with this one which may sound odd, the church. Now, by church, what I don't mean is Temple Bible Church is the problem with discipleship or that their church in general is a problem with discipleship. What I mean is, is that your concept of church can be a barrier to discipleship. What do you think the church is and is for can be the first and biggest hindrance to you being people who make disciples? Do you remember last week Dave talked about the concept of homemade and handmade and how we all value and put a premium called major cost on things that are handmade and homemade? Well, it is true that now we value this, but you need to know when I was growing up, nobody valued handmade, homemade. You know why? Everything we had was handmade and homemade. There was none of this kind of processed and packaging and and ability to get manufactured goods and services when I was growing up. Truthfully, and I mean it with all my heart, until I was about the age of seven, I never wore clothes that my mom didn't make for me. The fried chicken that is on my plate started off as the chicken in my great-grandmother's yard. I knew how to kill it, pluck it, gut it, 
cut it and get it into that pan so that we could have fried chicken. If we were eating deer meat, no lie, it was probably killed with the bullet that I made. (laughs) Our bullets were handmade in my home, which means that my family prized actually things that were factory made. I thought of those as goods and services that we could get. They're like better quality because they've really taken the time to make it great. What I never prized was homemade ice cream because we always had homemade ice cream. But when I went to someone's house and they had like store-bought plastic tubbed Gandy's vanilla ice cream, I thought I was in heaven. So you need to understand that homemade is actually only good if it's actually good. If you're not any good at it, then handmade and homemade actually kind of sucks. Do you get that? Like, what if we could find the best ice cream recipe in the world? We could find a way to make it with large quantities so we could keep the cost down. If we found a way to keep it and store it and distribute it, put a label on it called Bluebell, wouldn't that be a phenomenal thing? If we could all have that... Well, yes, as we learned to our detriment in the Grand Bluebell Famine of 2015, we're all a little desperate for this handmade. Did you ever see on the label, sometimes they say things like handmade, and we're like, yes, sort of. Somebody, like, touched it with their finger as it went by. That's not what we mean, right? Bluebell is a phenomenal gift of God, and we all need to appreciate it. But its costs are low, Because they do it widely, but the deal is they also do it well. It's why we all value it. Handmade is not fantastic unless you can do it well. Well, the same was true in the church. When I came to faith in the late 90s, which was another century ago for all of you, right? But when I came to faith, we shortly got here to Temple Bible Church. And one of the best things about it was how much people pursued us. They invite us to church, they invite us to church functions, invite us to small groups, invite us to Sunday school classes. But they kept inviting us to places to go see other people because during that same rise of food production and distribution and manufacture came the rise of experts. Now, thanks to technology and media, you didn't have to ask somebody how to be the best Christian parent. You could read it, hear about it. Now you can podcast it, YouTube it, get it in 140 characters in a tweet. Right Now you don't need to ask somebody in the pew. You don't have to ask the pastor. There's entire sections in Lifeway for you to get the best information from the best people. You can then put that same information out for others to get. Like, we're now in the world of experts. We're just a Google search away from all of our answers. Why would we ever? And did God not know what he was doing when he brought Jesus then and not now? Did he not understand how widespread this message could be? Is he just stupid? Could he not see the future? Did he not understand what this kind of technology, this kind of access would have meant? We could have had his Middle Eastern dark-skinned face on every coffee mug in America. If only he had dropped him here and now instead of there and then. But God did know what he was doing when he dropped him there and then. He did know what he was doing to drop him into a time where people had to speak and learn by word of mouth. Where walking was the main mode of transportation. He knew what he was doing when he was giving them a time when even the writings they had could not last very long. 
So they had to speak and tell and really press in to know this because God desires that all of his disciples be handmade disciples. It was not that he told the 11 that were remaining disciples, okay, you, you 11, go build a building and you sit there and everybody's going to bring you people and you're going to make disciples. What he said is, here you sit, now go, spread out. You make disciples and tell them to make disciples and tell them to make disciples. This would be personal. This would be handmade. Because what he did not say is go tell them. What he said is go teach them how. Teach them how. How to obey all that I've commanded you. But in this day and and time of experts, it is very easy for us to think that this is the church's job. That it's Gary and Dave's job to make disciples. You're just here to learn how they do it. Listen to this verse on Ephesians 4, and look what it says. And he gave people just like Dave and Gary, people just like me, like your leaders, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Why? To equip who? The saints. That's you. To equip you to do what? The work. We're to equip you to do the work of ministry until we all obtain, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we have all obtained unity. We're supposed to be equipping you. I love that Dave is a pastor and that he's been equipped to be our pastor. I love teaching. I love that he's called me and equipped me to teach. But my teaching is not so I can teach you and then go make disciples and you bring your friends here and then we'll make disciples out of the knee. You go get some more people and bring them back here. You bring them to Wednesday night and we'll do our job. No, our job is to equip you to go out there and you go make disciples. We're supposed to be equipping you for the work of ministry. You are responsible not only to make disciples, but to grow and be a disciple. You are responsible for finding people to meet with who are further along this path than you are. To learn how they, how do they know the Bible like they know it? How do they apply it like they're applying it? How do they do it just a little bit better than you are? And not just one person for the rest of your life. You'll do this with multiple people throughout the entire course of your life. Because you are responsible not only to make disciples, but to be a disciple. We're here to equip you. We're not here to do it for you. As you go, you need to know that that we're not a factory. We're a collection of handmade disciples who go out and handmade disciples. I start with this one because I think you can see that if you can get this concept, then the next three come pretty easily. The next three barriers fall if you believe this. So the next one is this one. No surprise. You. You're the next biggest barrier to discipleship. If you get that this is your job, if you get that this is not the job of the church, that it is your responsibility to go do this, then you can kind of see that however far you are along in this process is how far you can take somebody in this process. You cannot give out to somebody what you have not taken in. Why do we not press hard after this? Well, Dave told it to you last week, right? Because it's work. Because it's toil and struggle. I love that he put up there that Paul said that in Colossians 1. For this we toil, struggling with all the energy, all the power that he 
so sweetly gives to us. But it is work and it is toil and it is struggle. So how are you going to overcome this barrier? Here's the first one. You have to know Jesus better and better and better. One day after another, every single day. By the end of today, you should be able to say, I have seen him more clearly. There is a way I love him more sincerely. There is something about Jesus I know now that I've never known before. Do you know Jesus better by the end of every day? That's your job. That's what will overcome this barrier. And that is not quite the same, is it, as showing up to church on a Sunday, sitting through a talk while eating breakfast. You have work to do. This is not different. If I told you that we're supposed to be ice cream makers who make ice cream and teach other people how to make ice cream, just like Jesus made ice cream, you'd kind of get your hands on what this is supposed to look like. And you'd start to know what you're no good at. Does that make sense? Like, what is the process of it that you're missing? You could take like a class on that. The problem is what Jesus said is that you're supposed to be Christ and then teach others how to be Christ in their world, who will teach others how to be Christ in their world. You're not supposed to make a product. You're supposed to be a part of remaking people. And that makes it a little more challenging, doesn't it? So what do you do? Well, you prayerfully read your Bible. Read your Bible and not just five minutes a day. Not read devotionals about your Bible. Not read books about the Bible. Not read great men and women who loved the Bible. You read the Bible. The number one thing I hear from women, over the course of like two weeks, about a month ago, I sat down with five different women who do not know each other, and they said to me, I would love to read the Bible more, but my biggest problem is I just don't understand it. And I laughed each time and said to them the same thing. Is that really your struggle? You see, you're telling me you read, you're like an hour a day, I'm in the Bible, and every day I walk away and I just don't understand it. And they were like, no, 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 I'm saying I don't read the Bible because I don't understand it. So I said, well, why don't we start with this? Why don't you just read the Bible? And they were like, but I told you I don't understand it. I said, what if I told you this? I don't care. (laughs) What if you walk away at the end of the day and instead of saying, I understand Matthew 5, you answer the question to me, what does Matthew 5 say? What does Luke 6 say? Who is Jehoshaphat? Good guy or bad guy? What does it say? I'm not asking you to think. I'm not asking you to process. I'm not asking you to spit it back out in some new way, a new form, a new fashion that applies it directly to your life. All I'm saying is the number one barrier to you knowing the Bible is that we don't read the Bible. If you want to know how to overcome that barrier, you just simply have to read the Bible. Here's what I want you to understand. The Bible will tell you once you're in it that it is God who gives understanding. That Satan knows the word of God better than any of us. And he doesn't understand the gospel. That the angels have watched all of this play out and they long to understand the things that he's given to us. Because God opened hearts to understand. If you want to be better at overcoming the barrier of you, Read the Bible. Read it over and over until you can say, I know what it says. Not, I know what it means. Not, I understand it. Not, I understand everything about applying it to every part of my life. But I know what it says. It is the number one barrier to us knowing the Bible is we do not read. 
Second thing you're going to do is to ask God to change you into his image. Ask God to change you into his image. I, I told you that Satan knows it better and better. It's because he doesn't know it humbly. He knows the word. He doesn't understand it because he has no humility in him. Jehoshaphat was a good guy who's also a bad guy. He's a king in Israel. And there, but there's this one time when he is king in Second Chronicles 20, and he prays a prayer that you need to model your whole life on. He's talking about three armies that have been arrayed against Israel, but we're talking about our ability to get in the way of discipleship. We would look at this problem the same way he did, which basically he says this, you have all power and might. I have none. I am powerless. I am weak. We do not know what to do but our eyes are on you. If you prayed nothing else about knowing how to become the best kind of disciple maker, to tell God, you have all power, I have none, you have what I need, I'm begging you to give it to me, is to pray after Jehoshaphat's spirit, after God's spirit who gave him. Humbly ask God to open your eyes to see the word that you might be transformed into the likeness of the Son who is the Word. And then, humbly ask others to meet with you. Humbly open up your life to others to work out that change that you just read about, the change you just begged for. Meet with somebody who's further along the path than you. Meet with them to ask them to see your life well and, and let you open up who you really are so that you can be changed. Don't go to talk about other people. Don't go to talk about other situations. Don't go to find out how to handle your mom better, your dad better, this relationship better. Go to talk about you. Go to talk about Jesus. See him as your highest example, your true model, your image that you're being transformed into. And talk about your feelings and your emotions and your attitudes and your words and your actions and how those need to be in line with Jesus Christ. Watch them nod with you as you start telling them about all the ways you sin. Because if you ever meet with anybody who looks at you and gasps and says, I just can't believe that. I can't believe that you struggle with this. So then you're not meeting with somebody who you need to be meeting with. The person who's ahead of you should know one thing above all, that no temptation is seizing you that they haven't become more of an expert in. Time with sin doesn't make it go away. It allows you to see the the vastness of it, the, the rootedness of it, the depths of it. We may conquer it in ways that you're still struggling with, but I've only discovered oceans of ways that I have not. I will forever be dependent upon Jesus Christ to save me from my sin. We overcome by his blood and his testimony, not by our behavior. Meet with somebody you can really open up your life with. Someone who's further along. If they start, as you go, you need to keep this in mind. This is going to be so hard for your generation because y'all just love the phrase, don't judge me. I need you to hear me. You cannot change into the likeness of Jesus Christ, and you cannot go make disciples unless you can judge others. You're supposed to judge others. 
You have to have a standard, Jesus Christ, and you have to see their life and your life, and you have to compare, how are my words doing compared to Jesus's? And you have to judge where they fall short or no change ever happens. You have to be judged in order for change to happen, and you have to be a judge maker, a judgment caller. For you to be a disciple maker. But what we really mean is, when we say don't judge me, is don't reject me for it. Don't put me in a lower category than you. Don't demean me. Don't, don't let me lose value and significance and dignity in your sight because I'm struggling in some area. Too often in the church, the church has been like, oh no, they're just racist. They're over here. And the church just steps away from them like, oh, that's never defiled us. We're over here. That's what they mean by don't judge us. Yes, they're struggling with this sexual sin. They're struggling with the same-sex attraction. They're struggling with gender identity. And what it looks like when the church says, here's Jesus and you don't match up, is you're disqualified from our presence. What it ought to mean is, yeah, we've seen your sexual sin. Welcome. Yeah, no, that's what we all are. No, we're all screwed up. Come on in. We ought to be welcoming because of their sin, because he's only and ever dealt with sinners. But too often that judgment has felt like the judgment of the end times where the sheep and the goats has happened too soon. And Jesus specifically tells us, the disciples came and said, do we we pluck out? Can we just cast them aside? Can we go ahead and make that judgment? He's like, when the wheat is growing up with the weeds, how do you tell them apart? And they said, well, you have to wait till the harvest. He's like, can you wait? Don't pluck up things too early. You don't know what you're dealing with. You don't know what I'm doing here. Too often, that's what our judgment has been about. You need to reform the word judgment because the Bible, actually, 1 Corinthians 6, gets ticked off with us when we do not make judgments between one thing and another, between sin and righteousness. You must be a judgment maker, and your standard is Jesus Christ. What you do with that judgment, though, should also look like Jesus Christ. Do not separate the judgment of Christ from the compassion of Christ, from the mercy of Christ, from the friendship of Christ, from the pursuit of Christ, from the love of Christ. If you see it, you have to act like him. But you've got to stop rejecting the notion that judgment is going out the window. You cannot be a disciple maker unless you are a judge. But that's hard, isn't it? Because here's what I just told you. You're just going to lay open your entire life. You're going to show somebody all your sinful thoughts and attitudes and feelings. You're going to lay that all bare. And that's hard enough for you to own up to when you're alone, much less than somebody else. I know that it's hard. But I want you to understand, if they start telling you things like you ought to be a better person if you ought to be more like them, if that's not the righteous way to do, if that's not the Christian thing to do, I would want you just to quit meeting with them and find somebody else who says, you're right, that's not the standard of Christ, but I can tell you know that. But let's now talk about why that's continuing to come out. And look at me, look at me, I'm still here. Because you're hearing my sin, I'm hearing your sin, we're all in this together, we're running this race together. But let's stop acting like this is okay. Let's call sin what it is. And let's start killing it. Let's start putting it to death. Be with somebody who can help you do that. Want to change. You have to want to change. 
Are you willing to give up how you feel about things and have your feelings conform to the feelings of Jesus Christ? Are you willing to give up how you think about things, how you view things, and have those conform to the thoughts of Jesus Christ? Are you willing to give up the words you want to say, the actions you want to do, and have those completely taken over, transformed by His Spirit, so that when they send you into the world, they see Christ and not you? Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And then he said, get in line, because if they've seen you, they're supposed to see me. When they see me, they see the Father. When they see the Father, they have attained all that God has saved you to do. You were saved and made to see Jesus Christ as he really is, so that you could see the Father who deserves all glory and honor. If you see him, you're made perfect. That's the goal for all of this. It's okay. There's the second barrier. You. It's the biggest. I've spent the longest on it because the first two are things you can do something about. The last two are things you have a lot less control over. And the next one is life. You're not the first generation to have a life that is too busy for your life. We know that. I know how busy you are. And there's so much of that you cannot control. What your coach says you've got to do for workouts, the test schedule they've got, the homework load they give you, your parents who all of a sudden, don't your parents do this? We're like, Like your room's been messy for like two and a half weeks and all of a sudden today, right now, it's got to be clean. Or like her sanity is on the line. Do y'all do that? Because I do that to my girls. Like, just like walk around and like it's been fine until it's not and now it's not and now it's got to be done. And I act like, you know, all of heaven and earth ride on it. Don't know what that happens. You'll become it. I'm sorry. (laughs) I thought that was terrible too when my mom did it. Now I am it. So here we are repeating the same patterns. But we know. We know, I know what it's like to decide you're going to be all in for something with Jesus. You're going to read your Bible. You're going to start meeting with somebody above you. You're going to start meeting with somebody who's a little further behind you. And you're going to start doing this thing of making disciples. And another week shows up, you'll be back here in a week, and you've done not one thing about it. You meant to, but life got in the way. We all know what it's like. Add in three kids, work, spouse, house, bills. Yeah, I know what this is like. What I'd want you to do to combat this, the first thing you have to do to combat this is this. You have to know that your struggle with schedules, your struggle with life is not unique. You have to know that your struggle is not unique. This is vital to this process. The reason why is because as long as you are special, as long as your life is unlike anybody else's, then all that you did that week will be excused by you. As long as your life is unique, like nobody else understands the schedule you have, nobody else understands the life you live, then you can stay doing what is different than you know the rest of them need to be doing. It's not different than you might hear of somebody who says something about like why they didn't help out with Hurricane Harvey relief. They didn't give one thing. They didn't pass by one thing, not one $3 item, because their financial decision was based upon unique circumstances. Bills that nobody else has. Something about their life that nobody else can understand. Every time we try to make ourselves unique, it's usually because we're excusing some way of righteousness that we know we're being called to. You have to normalize your life to understand that when God gave you this command to go and make disciples, he knew what he was doing when he gave it to you in this life. This life is designed by God for you to be able to go make disciples. It may just not look like what you think it's supposed to look like. 
You may have in your mind that somehow it's supposed to be this like two-hour concentrated time where you sit and you start with prayer and some worship music and then you read the Word and you discuss life and accountability partners. It's some big deal. It's almost like a program. What he said is intentionally doing good to someone else to make them more like Christ. You can do that in two seconds walking down the hall towards somebody. You can give encouragement. You can do it in five minutes when you're just riding a bus with somebody as they share with you an issue that's going on and you think about what you read in the Word that week and how it meets and matches them with comfort or with rebuke or correction or teaching about that situation. You can do it in short amounts of time throughout your day. Of course you can do it sitting down at a you know, Starbucks and sitting and talking about a passage of Scripture. Of course you can. Of course you can do that through 30 minutes of prayer. Of course you can. But don't box discipleship in as if it it can only happen in these large chunks of time that you just don't have time for. Get creative about how to make this happen. When you realize that we all have this in common, you'll realize that we don't get a pass. I don't get a pass. No matter how busy my day is, I don't get a pass. I have to be about the work of making disciples. It's His command. But there are things that are sucking up your time that you can control. And that's this. Take control of what you actually can control. Don't call it out of your control. You have some things that affect your time that are in your hands. Take control of those. Let me just start with a small one. Those devices at your table, in your pockets, in your hands, those devices more often use you than you use them. They more often control your reactions than you control theirs. There is an app on your phone, and it decides to send you a notification that you should open up its app, and who jumps to whose tune? It sends it to you, and you swipe. You do what it told you to do. You feel like you're in control because you can say no to it, but do you say no to it? When those app creators work in notifications, they do it because the more traffic they drive to their site, the more money comes into their bank account. They are wanting notifications to be sent out to you because it drives traffic. If you would like to start taking control of your phone to use it when you want to use it on your timeline that fits the life you need it to have, Consider turning off notifications on your phone. I don't get Facebook notifications or Twitter notifications or Instagram notifications, so I don't know that 92 people have liked that. When it's some time that I have time, I can now do it, but I used to not be that way. Smartphone came out, I did what you all did. Notification, can this access? Can it access? Can it access? I don't know, go away so I can see it. Didn't you all just press yes, 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 so it goes away? Now we've got all of this access to us from these creators of apps. You can control that. How much time do you spend on Netflix? How much time do you spend on timelines? Now some of you might say, oh yeah, I never do. Do There's another app that can actually access how many times you access your phone. Those diagnostic tools might be a good idea to get a real-time accountability for how often you're using your phone. Take control of what you can take control of. Why don't we do that? Why don't we take control of Netflix? Why don't we take control of apps? Why don't we take control of notifications? 
that would be a really great conversation for you to have with somebody about your heart and your motivations and how the gospel applies. That's a disciple-making decisions and understanding to have. Be with somebody and work that out. Okay, but know this. Just because you prioritize discipleship, just because you're getting a hold of yourself and you're meeting with somebody, and just because you're reading the Word, just because you're praying and asking God to apply this to your heart, just because you're working on your distractions and getting that all clear, there's still a barrier. And the last one is this. Them. The person you want to meet with. The person that you're meeting with above you and the person that you're meeting with who's a little behind you. They are still a barrier to discipleship actually taking place. But this one, you have the lowest control over, right? You can't change them. You can't make them read. You can't make them meet with you. You can't make them prioritize this. You can't change their heart. You can't stop that sin. You can't work out that righteousness in them. You have almost no control. So what do you do about overcoming this barrier? There is one thing you can do, and that's this. You make sure that you are not their biggest barrier. You make sure that you are not their biggest barrier. What I mean by this is make sure you're not their problem. Picture that discipleship is like us climbing this mountain. At the top will be Jesus Christ. When we get there, we're like him. That's the image that we're climbing, the image of Jesus Christ. We're all climbing to get there. When we start, we start at the bottom. Actually, we start below the bottom in a grave, right? We're dead in our sins and trespasses. God makes us alive, and we start this process of changing into the image of Jesus Christ more and more. Well, if you're going to help somebody, you've been walking this road for a little while, you're going to help somebody behind you. You know what's not helpful? Yelling things like, hey, you're doing that wrong. Hey, that's not the right path. If you want me to be a good mountain climber, and good luck to you, But if you would like to help me be a better mountain climber, you know it would be helpful? If you would slow down, walk back to me, tell me what to do, show me what to do, let me practice, improve it. Walk with me. Climb with me. What will not help is you yelling at me that I'm doing it wrong. Hey, Kim, your life sucks. Not helpful. Tweeting that my life sucks. Not helpful. You're all about blowing out your opinions out there. But if you want to be an actual disciple maker, you've got to go meet with that person the next day. Slow your life down. And I don't mean meet with them to tell them how wrong they are. I mean meet them so that you know their name. They know yours. You know their life. They know yours. Slow yourself down and walk with people. Help them to know why their hearts are motivated like they're motivated. Help them to understand the, why they're making the decisions they're making. Understand the hurts and, and pain and suffering that all of this comes through. Shockingly, I say that sarcastically, you would not have known me as a woman with high compassion when I first became a follower of Christ. And some of you are going, you, you are now? Do you? I have improved, and how scary is that? I can at least flip it on, right? No, I hope I can. I hope now that you've met me, I've both yelled at you and wept with you. I hope I have high-fived you and cheered for you as well as pressed you for holiness. That's also an attribute of God, somebody who works out holiness in them. I love that part. It's that compassion thing. 
But compassion takes seeing others, and there's a reason that my life was completely internalized. If you knew my life before, way back as a child, it would make sense more of how I am like I am and why compassion was hard. The more you knew me when I was 18, 19, and 20, the more you'd be like, oh my gosh, you're like so compassionate now. But along the way, I had people who just condemned me, discarded me, told me I'd never be it, never be good enough, needed to be out of a position, been kicked out of positions because I wasn't, you know, enough. Instead of somebody coming beside me and loving me and saying, hey, no, look, shoulder to shoulder, let me show you something. See that? Watch what happens if you would just do it like this. Just put your foot here, reach up there, grab this, swing that. Got that? Let's try it again. Hey, come here, Kim, let's try that again. It has been so few the number of times that a woman has come back to me to say, hey, let's shoulder to shoulder, let me walk you how this could be better than this. Guys, that's that's your job. My job is not simply to scream at you, (laughs) but to come alongside you and to tell you how that happens. Now, when there's 175 of you in front of me, it gets a little more challenging. But the role is to to meet with you one-on-one and to say, hey, come here, let me show you. Let me show you why it went wrong. Let me show you the image of Jesus Christ. Let me show you how it can go better. Even when it feels fake, you can fake it until Christ returns it and churns it inside of you until it becomes perfect. Let's do this thing together. That's what it's supposed to mean. And as a side note, all of that, how that change works out in people. How do you know what to say when you meet with them? How how does change happen in us? That's something you're going to need to learn. I said you are the biggest barrier, knowing Christ, knowing it. Don't look right now, but on the back of your questions is actually a list of resources that if I could get you to read any of them, they'd be right back there. Just take a picture with your phone. I've highlighted two that I would start you with, but those not only talk about like discipleship itself, but it actually talks about how people change. How does change happen? Take a picture of it as you leave and you can get started. It means that you walk back, you take them by the hand, and you walk them forward biblically. Dave is going to talk about this, though, that even though you are responsible to make disciples, you are not alone in this. This is a community of believers. There is one more aspect of it, and that's our individualism that is our biggest barrier. Dave is going to hit that completely next week, so I hope you'll be here to hear that. It's an important key understanding to it. But today I want you to spend some time in your groups thinking about these four barriers and about your life. How you conceive of the church and your role in it. How you know yourself and where you need to grow. What you think about life and how you need to change your habits and how you think about your schedule. And then finally thinking about them. Are you a barrier to somebody simply because of the way you are toward them? Are you the biggest barrier they could name to their own discipleship? I want you to think about that as you go.